Good morning, welcome. Let's stand and worship God together. Water you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. The ashes we rise, no one like you, none like you. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome power. darkness you shine out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you none like you our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer awesome and power
you always provide. We worship you today, Father. You're a good and gracious God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A happy Mother's Day from Kids Street as well. Um, have you guys said happy Mother's Day to somebody this weekend? Yeah? Did you um, go visit people, maybe give them flowers, maybe, oh, I don't know, did you make cards at school, make little gifts to give people? Yeah, that's good, right? Mothers like to hear that, right? You know what mothers really like? Other than just telling them that you love them and happy Mother's Day, have you ever showed them how much you love them? How much you appreciate them? What kind of things could you do for a mother in your life to show them rather than tell them? Help clean the house. Okay, help around the house. You hear that? You can, you can take them up on that one. What else? Is that what you were going to say? Treat your mothers how you want to be treated. That's a good one too, right? Yeah, anything else? The dishes. Do the dishes. Can you come to my house later? Yeah. All right. Yeah, you know, we love God too, right? Do we tell God that we love him? We just sang songs of praise to God. We sang how much we love our good, good father, right? You know what he likes more than us saying it, right? Us showing it. We have a scripture here in 1 John chapter 4. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we may have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another, right? So today, as we celebrate mothers in our lives, be sure not just to say it, but to show it, okay? All right, let's bow our heads and pray, and then you can pick up a Mother's Day coloring and word search down there on the pew on your way back to your seats, okay? Dear Lord, we, we thank you for your love that you give freely to us. Help us to share that love that we have in you to those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black as could be and my heart felt alone and I cried Every hour, every day, from 
in a palace too tall with great riches it's This whole wide world that's worse than me alone. Hold my hand all the way, every hour, every day, from here to the
Pray with me, please. Our Heavenly Father, we give thanks for mothers and the example they set. We thank you for the guidance of giving and sharing, and we thank you for this opportunity to give and to share. Bless these gifts and to thy will, in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Romans chapter 12, continuing in our series, What Am I Doing Wrong? The question that comes to mind sometimes when you go to church and you're all about Jesus and you write your check and you pray, 
But sometimes you're just not feeling it. You're not feeling like God is with you. You didn't get your prayers answered the way you thought they should have been answered. Or you just don't seem to feel God at work. What am I doing wrong? So today we're talking about how sometimes the answer is I'm not really focused on God. Now, here's a dirty little secret about this series of sermons. All of these sermons don't deal with them other people. All these sermons deal with you and what goes on in here. For so many, we reduce Christianity. It's a reductionist approach. We reduce Christianity to the easy things. Making yourself go to church, write the check, listening to sermons, don't snore during church and things like that. And we, we do it like that because that way we don't have to deal with the personal issues. Who we are in Christ. That's a very personal issue. And no one can do anything about that but you. It's utterly and completely and solely upon you and your relationship with Jesus. So we're going to talk about that. At first, though, I do want to talk about moms for just a bit. I had a great mama. My mom struggled with mental illness. I've told you that. She was, had severe mental illness. She was medicated almost into oblivion for four decades of her life. And yet she struggled to be a good mama. And I realized how hard that was for her, just to get up and function. Many of you had mamas that struggled with different things. Some of them struggled with health issues. Some of them struggled just to be a good mama. And I think we need to give them their props. Not an easy job. Look around in our culture, and the brunt of child-rearing falls upon mamas, doesn't it? You've heard the news that as we come out of the pandemic, the job market is beginning to open, and we're beginning to find out that women, mamas, suffered more during the pandemic than men because women had to do all the things that go with normal life in addition to the pandemic thing. And, and men still worked and still did those things. And women bore the brunt of taking care of that stuff at home, you know, the messy kid stuff. Several months ago, I came across an article in Smithsonian Magazine. And it was written by a psychiatrist talking about the wonders of the human father. And he talked about how in the animal kingdom, there aren't many fathers. But primarily among humans, fathers who have a significant role. And he almost as an aside had, oh, by the way, we don't want to forget that moms bear the brunt of life. And I thought he almost gave her short shrift, but he wrote another article covering that. But it's interesting to notice that in the academic world, it is understood that mamas determined in so many ways the life of a child. It is a gift of God, this thing called mamas. We are not raised by a village. We are not raised by a corporation. Those crucial first years are shaped by mama. Dad has a role, of course. Don't want to ever downplay that. But mama suckles. Mama births. Mama hums and holds. And she's the one in the rocking chair at 3 in the morning. I'll be honest, as a man, as a father, I felt woefully inadequate to raise a baby. Didn't have a clue. The whole diaper thing confused me. I never understood why a baby who knows nothing of sex would prefer mama instead of me at 3 in the morning. I was okay with that, by the way, after I figured it out. 
And I was more than happy to let mama get up at three in the morning. But babies seem to know what we often forget. There is something special about mamas. Join me in prayer as we pray for mamas and for insight and for God's grace to be done. Join me, please. Father, again, we thank you for the way you have planned for our needs. You gave us mamas who fight and struggle and sacrifice so that we could just survive. Thank you, Father, for thinking for us. In your plan for creation, you created mothers who would love and sacrifice and do all they knew to do. Thank you. We thank you for this life, Father. In your wisdom, you gave us life. It's a gift. You allowed us to live and laugh and love and enjoy music and read and learn and, and think. Thank you. You created us to walk with you. We messed it up, of course. And you've worked to fix that in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for the richness and fullness of this life, Father. We ask for mercy, forgiveness for our sin, for patience from you. We ask, Father, that you withhold your punishment and give us grace instead. Cleanse us as only you can through Jesus. This morning, Father, as we consider families, help us to give grace and love. Help us to step up and fill the role that you've given us. Help us to love and forgive. We pray for those who serve in our communities, first responders, soldiers, doctors, nurses. You know who they are, Father. Give them a special dose of your grace and the encouragement that you can give in this time of pandemic. We thank you for allowing us to live in a time and a place where we can enjoy the fruits of the labors of scientists and the medical profession who can find cures to horrible diseases in just months. Thank you. Help us, Father, to do our parts, to serve others, to encourage others, to help others. We pray for those who have power. Help them to use it wisely and with discretion. Help them to understand that governmental mandates are powerful, easily misused, and should be used with great discretion. Help them to resist that temptation to dominate. Give them wisdom and guidance and discernment. Help them to lead rather than to order. Help us as your people, Father, to be a positive influence on our community and in our nation. Help us to see through the scams that are so common. Help us to speak truth. Help us to discern and be intolerant of falsehoods. Help us, Father, to represent the God who is truth. 
Father, thank you for this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It takes a long time to figure out relationships, doesn't it? I've already mentioned that sometimes the struggle of relationships between a mama and child. When that child becomes an adult, the relationship changes, and there's that subtle dance that goes on for sometimes decades before you finally figure it out. It's hard for mamas to learn that a, a man can be a man without being a child at the same time. And sometimes it's hard for a man to realize that mama is still wise even though she's old. Relationships are difficult. Interestingly enough, everybody understands this. You may not talk about it much, but you understand that there are levels of relationships based upon your investment. Now, I went to school a long time, and I thought I knew stuff like this, and I knew that people had to go to school to learn stuff. You know, that's how arrogant I was in my former years. One day, I was driving around town with a bunch of little kids in my car. It was my day, and you know what I mean by that. So I had one, two, three, four kids in my little bitty car, and they were all chatting and doing what kids do, and the oldest one was 11, Johnny, and he was one of those really odd kids. My dad would call him Ducky whatever that meant. But he was just an odd kid. Nice kid. Very intelligent. Just as weird as he could be. He was my neighbor. And we loved him because he would say the craziest things. Ever been around? You know those kinds. They're just really funny kids. We pulled up and it was after school, and, and uh, I had these kids in my car, and they were talking about the various kids as we were waiting in line. And he said, oh yeah, there are my standby friends. And I'd never heard of a standby friend before. I said, now Johnny, what do you mean by a standby friend? He goes, you know, standby friends, you stand by them. And you, you talk about them and you're friends with them, but you're really not good friends with them. They're just friends when you're standing by, waiting for something better to do. And I thought, wow, I never thought about that before. And I realized that this little boy, 11, as odd as he could be, had already figured out relationships. We have categories of relationships. Not everybody is your best friend. Some people are very distant. And then some people are your standby friends. People that are your friends, sort of. You talk to them in certain situations when there's nothing else to do and no one else around. You have standby friends. Today we're going to talk about the relationship that we have with God himself through Jesus you know that the relationship is established with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is the beginning of that relationship, personal relationship. And when we talk about the relationship with God, sometimes I'm afraid that we might categorize God and our relationship with Him as one of those standby relationships. It's not that we have a negative or positive feeling about it. We like Him. We pray to Him when we need something. We think about Him when we go to church. But for the most part, we may just spend our life and never think about God because He's in that standby category. If you do that, well, like my friend would say, standby friends really aren't very important to you. He didn't say that, but that's what he meant. If he never saw his standby friends again, that'd be okay with him because he wasn't just standing by waiting for them. Sometimes, without thinking, we might put God into that standby category. Today we're going to read a passage of Scripture. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the primary passage. But we need to understand that God was 
was speaking about himself through Paul. Paul wrote this passage. And beginning at verse 33, Paul was setting the stage for verses 12, 1, and 2. So follow along with me, if you would. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he sets the stage for talking about that relationship with God in 12, 1 and 2 by talking about the person of God. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, because of God, because of his glory, his grace, his power, his wisdom. Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see, you don't do it just out of discipline. You don't do the right thing with faith just because it's a command. You do it out of admiration for the person of God. I don't know about you, but when I really admire someone, I put a lot of faith in them. And I take a lot of stuff from them when I trust them. Even if they do something that I don't understand, I still trust them and love them and, and give them the benefit of the doubt. And I stick with them even when they don't do what I want just because I have a high feeling for them. This is what Paul is saying. Listen, those of you who claim Jesus, you have this relationship with God. You need to pay attention to this relationship because of, because of who God is. Therefore... Because of God's grace and love and power. Therefore. So on screen are some ideas. Our faith can help us to value God over all things. It's easy. I say. It's easy for me to allow the things of this world to cloud my mind. And by things of this world I mean everything. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but it's just stuff, right? And I can get so consumed with the things of this world, many of them good things, that I really haven't made time to be with God. I've reduced him to standby. Now, for me, anything with an engine is a thing of this world. If it's got an engine or a motor, and I'm beginning to read a lot about electric cars and Teslas and all those things because it's a, an unusual kind of electric engine. And it's consuming to me to read that stuff. And I'm, so I'm trying to figure out the physics of electricity and those kinds of things and all those kinds of things. And I read about submarines because they got motors on them. And those things, the things of this world that are neither good nor bad, they just are, can consume me to the point that I can't even think about God. He's reduced to standby. Some of you are the same way. Some of you, it's trucks and cars and guns and hunting and boats and fishing. Some of you, it's clothing and children and schools and homework. And some of you, it's your career and things like that. You know, the things of this world or anything 
that are of this world. Some of the things of this world are sinful. Typically, when preachers talk about the things of this world, they're talking about sinful things. But this preacher understands that the things of this world aren't necessarily sinful. There's nothing neither good nor bad about particular engines or designs or physics or things like that. But we can so focus on them that they get in the way. And we reduce God to a standby. My 11-year-old friend helped me because I think of standby relationships often. And I am guilty sometimes of putting God into that category because I allow the things of this world to gain too much importance. It's, it's easy to do. Sometimes it's because of what interests us. For me, it's like I said, engines and stuff. For you, it's other things, things that interest us. Interestingly enough, God created us with minds that can be interested in things like that. And he gave us the ability to learn and to do and to work and all those kinds of things and create passions within us over these things. So this is gift of God. But like all gifts, it must be used correctly. Else it gets in the way. God took quite a risk. In the mind of God, I'm sure he understood the potential for harm here. And yet because in his wisdom he gave us this incredible potential for learning and love of learning and, and love of this life, he risked becoming a standby. But he took that chance, didn't he? Because he loves us. Just like my son-in-law is an avid fisherman. Talk about him for just a minute. Actually, he's not an avid fisherman. He's just an avid hunter, period. He wants to hunt everything. If it moves, he wants to kill it and eat it, okay? One of those guys. And it doesn't matter how, he just wants to do that. And that's his thing. Well, he's got a five-year-old son, my grandson Henry. Well, guess what he's teaching him to do? To hunt and kill and eat. Because that's what he does. And he's, he's taking this risk of creating him younger, mouthier, louder, undisciplined. And he's going to have to struggle with that. And I know that when Henry's 16 and 17, well, you know what Henry's going to want to do. And he's probably not going to take that old man with him. But he risks that because it's a passion that he's passing on. All right. When God created us with passions and the potential for that, he risked this. And it's up to us to keep God in the middle of it rather than off to the side in that standby position. Paul knew this. When he wrote to the Roman Christians, different world, but so much the same. The things of this world have always been the things of this world, good and bad, consuming if we allow them to. And so Paul knew that from what he had heard of the church in Rome, that some of the Christians were beginning to push God off to the side, standby relationships. So he taught them how not to do that. In our passage, he says this. Look at verse 1 in chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So here's this idea of worship. Sometimes I think in America we've got this distorted sense of what worship is. Preachers tend to think of worship as what we do here. I worship one hour a week. And preachers typically think I'm the big dog in worship because I get to talk and people get to listen. And that's how preachers tend to think. Now, we know that worship has to be more than that. From the musician's side, 
oftentimes musicians will say, well, I love the worship part of church service. You see the distance there? And worship becomes music, a much narrower slice. Well, did you see what Paul did? By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Paul had this crazy idea of worship, that worship isn't part of what you do on Sunday. Worship is what you do, period. So whether or not you hunt or fish or shop or educate or nurture or love, that's worship. Worship isn't, of course, just what you do, is it? It's what's going on within you when you're doing it. Paul is calling us to honor God with worship. Why? Because he is worth it. Because he is worthy. Look in chapter 11 again. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. On that basis... Live your life, service of worship. Okay, so enough about that. How do you do it? This is where people go, okay, Kev, enough, we get it. What am I supposed to do? Because, right, you know, we want practical stuff. It's enough for preachers to wax eloquent, but now we need to tell you what to do. So this is, I'm talking to myself. When I want to demonstrate God's worth, I want to learn to dedicate my life in the flesh. Because this is a fleshly life. How many of you can park your body and go move around? We don't do that. You try. But really, you're there. And you know that we were created with this body. Uh, I have a friend, a good friend, who's Christian. And she yearns for out-of-body experiences. She says, I want to get up and be free of this body. It restrains me. And she says all kinds of things like that. And I, I said, you don't get to do that here for the most part said, you are a living soul. You and your body are one. So, when we want to live our lives a reasonable service of worship, we have to do it with our flesh. How you live. Bible study and prayer, of course. But also daily behavior and relationships. There's that relationship thing again. In other words, how you treat people is worship or can be worship. If you consciously make choices, you choose to relate to people in a way that reflects your faith. Now think about that. If you think biblically, the Bible has a lot to say about your faith, your flesh, your mouth, your thoughts. How you use your thoughts and your mouth can be a matter of worship. Now, you have to make that choice. At one point, Paul was really ripping up some people in another book. And he said, you know, from the same mouth comes cursing and praises. And he says this phrase, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. And I think that's one of the best phrases. These things ought not so to be. In other words, if your mouth is spewing poison one time and your mouth is spewing praises to Jesus at another, there's something wrong with your mouth. And he was just being honest. 
He wasn't criticizing them at all. He said, listen, if you're a Christian, if your life is service of worship, then what you speak must follow suit. What you think changes everything, doesn't it? So dedicate your life in the flesh, your behavior. Choose love and grace. Now, here's a tough one. If you choose love, it can change your life. And by love, I'm not saying this touchy-feely, I cry, Hallmark movies, even though there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what I'm talking about here. When you choose love, you're choosing to be concerned for other people. And here's the kicker from a biblical perspective. Not just people you like, and surely not people that are just like you. People. Period. You know, interestingly enough, we live in a culture that is consumed by the struggle over race. And I understand that. We've done some horrible things, right? But the Bible doesn't address it. You know why? The Bible doesn't acknowledge those differences. In beginning, God created. And in creation's story, still I think one of the most important stories in Scripture, God created man and woman. That's it. Man and woman. Same. Different functions. Same. Didn't talk about the races. Jesus didn't either. Samaritan, Jew, Gentile, Roman. He treated them all with respect. In fact, he didn't, he didn't say to the Samaritan, therefore, I love you because you were Samaritan and created Samaritan. He didn't say that. He just treated her well. This is how Jesus handled race. If you choose love and grace, guess what? You just treat people well. It's really very simple. Not only do you treat them well, you speak of them well. And you think of them as equals. And see, that's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to eliminate racist language. I get it. It's quite another thing to eliminate racist thoughts and tendencies. I think about this often. I was raised a little white boy in a little white town, raised by a great big white man who was raised a little white boy in a little white town, who was raised himself by a great big white man in a little white boy, as a little white boy in a little white town. So you know how I was raised, right? And some of the things that I grew up thinking were normal, I found out later, were evil. So I struggle with that. And only my commitment to Jesus overpowers that. Only that. It's not a matter of education. It's a matter of heart and commitment and adherence to biblical teaching. Don't get it right all the time. Shame to admit. The choice to love is game changer, folks. It changes you. Or it can. One other thing. If you want to demonstrate God's worth, subject yourself to God's influence. So this means that God reigns supreme in your life. In other words, instead of me acting like my daddy taught me to, which, by the way, for the most part was really good, but instead of me thinking, how would my daddy act, I need to start thinking, how would my father want me to act, Father God? And then act in a way that honors the God who saved me. It happens for preachers, it happens for teachers, it happens for mama and daddy and children. We have to learn to try to think, what does God want me to do? 
God most typically expresses himself through Scripture. So pay attention to what the Bible teaches. And, you know, we do that. That's why everything we do is Bible-based, we hope. That's why the Bible is often very challenging. In this passage we read, Paul said this, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what the world will lead you to do. Paul says you have to resist that. And instead, allow God to teach you. So on screen are some ideas. God can help you think patience and kindness before you attack and insult someone that has hurt you. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you know what you want to do, right? You may not do it. Before you respond, think. Someone says something insulting to you. Before you open your mouth, think. Before you respond, think. What would God have me do? It slows things down. Yes, that perfect insult may be unacceptable to God. So you don't get to use it. Doggone it. Because sometimes there's something really sweet about the perfect insult, isn't there? That's why we do it. What makes you feel good isn't the issue, is it? It's what God wants. God can help you think honesty and integrity before you lie or act in a way that denies your faith. Honesty and integrity means if you say you're a Christian, you go to church, you say you follow Jesus and all those things, if you say that, then you do that. That's integrity. You say you're Christian, act Christian. Follow biblical teachings, submit to God's leadership. Think before you act, how can I as Christian do this? And when the Bible speaks clearly on an issue, and it almost always does, then do what the Bible says. Some people say, well, you can't always pay attention to the Bible. Sometimes you just go to go with your heart. No. Christian, follow what Jesus says. If your heart leads you to do something that, sa- that the Bible says is wrong, guess what? Your heart is wrong. Don't follow your heart. Follow biblical teaching. Test your heart by biblical teaching. It's always right. One other thing. God can help you search for and accept the truth before you settle for a comfortable deception. This phrase, comfortable deception, I don't know if I read that or dreamed it or just came up with it, don't know. But as I was thinking about it, I thought about one of my friends who called lies not a comfortable deception, but a, I can't remember what he said, but he meant comfortable deception. In other words, you can lie to yourself. Well, I did that because it was their fault. Ever bl- Don't hold your hands up. Have you ever blamed your behavior on somebody else? Have you ever said, well, I wasn't going to do that, but he made me? Well, she said this. Well, she gave me that look. And you know what happens then. And, you know, and on and on it goes. And we justify our bad behavior with other people's behavior. Guess what? The Bible has this ridiculous notion that says you are responsible for you. I can't control what he or she says. I surely can't control what the government may do. The only thing I can control is me. 
my mouth, my thoughts, my actions. And when you do that, then you can get past this. This comfortable deception thing means you lie to yourself because you don't want to hear the truth about yourself. It's comfortable. We do it all the time. You fill in the blanks on what goes on in your life. What is comfortable? What is a deception? How often do you deceive yourself? You know, I have experienced in my life and in the life of my good Christian friends that we have an almost unlimited capacity for self-deception. Have you ever noticed that? We can lie to ourselves absolutely and believe it. And we can do that for decades. God calls us to be honest with ourselves. God can help us that. And when we do that, then our very lives can become a reasonable service of worship. It's reasonable because, well, because Jesus died for you. The life you have in Jesus was not easy to acquire. Easy for you, yes. It only came because Jesus chose a horrible death for you. So it is reasonable for God to expect you to consider that service of worship. On screen is a final idea. God is worthy of our greatest devotion and faithfulness. The decision to live a life based on God's love and grace can enable us to experience the fullness of His blessings. In other words, the decision to move God from a standby friend to a central relationship, that's the choice that will change your life. If you've ever sensed that maybe God wasn't with you, or maybe something was going on spiritually that wasn't right, or something like that, maybe it's because you've relegated God to the standby position. Move God over to central position. God can change your life. He loves you. He forgives you. He always does. And when you do that, then your life will change. You still won't get everything you want. You still won't get all the prayers answered like you like. You still will struggle. But God will bless you. And you can sense Him and work in your life. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation this morning. As he leads us, the challenge is always before us. Move Jesus from periphery to center. It's always the right thing to do. Make that choice if you would. If there's a decision you'd like to make public, you can come forward. Would you stand with me, please?
George is going to come and lead us in a closing prayer. The challenge is always the same. Follow Jesus. Follow only Jesus. George? Father, help us to move you to the center position and help us to demonstrate that as we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.